Hello, and welcome to the Tuesday, July 18th, 2023 episode of the Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker, along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several several genres of music, and I share with you what has currently caught my interest. Old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you have never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or the estate of any performer or composer dead and gone to discuss their music and or recordings. Now with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. My guests today are Megan Parnell and Dave Barnes of the Toronto-based seven-piece Southern Soul Roots rock band Bywater Call. Formed in 2017, the band has received an independent blues and multiple maple blues award nominations, including Entertainer of the Year and Best Female Vocalist for the 2023 award season. They have toured extensively in Europe over the last few years, including in May and June of 2022, featuring a main stage appearance at the Netherlands' premier blues festival, Moulin Blues. Performances there have been praised in Dutch and German media, with references to Megan as one of the best singers in blues and roots today. In August 2023, the band will participate in Joe Bonamassa's Keeping the Blues Alive at Sea Mediterranean Cruise, alongside headliners Blackberry Smoke, Christone Kingfish Ingram, and Bonamassa himself. They have headlined festival stages from Belgium to Ontario, Canada, and in 2023 will be gracing festival main stages from Germany to Florida, Colorado to Quebec City, Fredericton to Kentucky, among any, many other American and Canadian cities, including opening for Whitehorse at the inaugural edition of the Smokestack Music Festival in Hamilton, Ontario. Bywater won the opportunity to compete in the 2023 edition of famed International Blues Challenge in Memphis, Tennessee, but instead 
Megan and Dave found themselves in the United Kingdom opening for the Joe Bonamassa-supported band Robert John and the Wreck out of the United States. Bywater will return in full format to the UK and Europe in late 2023 to embark on their own tour. Bywater's much-anticipated sophomore album was released September 2, 2022, to rave reviews. Born out of a love for Southern soul, blues, and roots music, and a passion to create a powerful and moving experience for listeners, Bywater Call is completed by Bruce McCarthy on drums, Mike Musel on bass, newest member John Curvin on keyboard, Stephen Dite on trumpet, and Julian Nally on tenor sax. It is my pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, Megan and Dave. Uh, hello, Megan. Hello. It's uh, really great to uh, talk with you, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get a few licks in from Dave here as we go along. <laughs> uh, I'd sure. like to start with uh, asking you about uh, a couple of labels that are applied to your band, Bywater Call, and that is Southern Soul and Roots Rock. Uh, kind of looking at those two terms uh individually what do they what do they mean to you and the kind of music that you make i think for us uh those terms as applied to music um really embody a warmth um and a looseness and a warmth uh in a sound that we're trying to uh to emulate and capture okay okay so looseness and warmth kind of a uh, lazy lazy summer day kind yeah, of vibe, you know? yeah <laughs> well i often like to tell my audiences when we play a tune it's uh based on the blues i always say the playing the blues always feels good it's either like doing a shot of whiskey or getting uh, a, a hug from your grandmother or maybe doing a shot of whiskey with your grandmother Perfect. Uh, yeah, all of that. <laughs> so his is a nice, warm, warm feeling, I guess. Well, that's yeah. that's great. Well, now you guys aren't a cover band per se. No. Nope. Uh, but who do you feel that you are emulating with your music? I mean, you know, we all start out by, you know, we imitate, we assimilate we then innovate. So who do you feel that that uh, your band and, and your style tend to emulate? Uh, so there's tons of influence in the music that we're writing. And, and we're obviously not trying to emulate anything specifically, but take those influences and kind of hopefully come up with our own vibe from that. But I would say um, we've got the band, Aretha Franklin, Tedeschi Trucks is a big influence for us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, a little bit of Black Crows. Wood Brothers. Wood Brothers is big for us right now. That's really, really educating kind of our our, our musical direction. Uh, there's so, so there's so many. And then you could go back to, you know, all of the old blues masters, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, stuff that we learned from them as well. Mm -hmm. So a lot of blues based uh, musicians and, 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 and actual 
you know, blues musicians, which is, you know, the blues is the taproot of uh, American popular music. So it's uh, not a bad place to come from. Uh, what what do you feel like uh, compelled you toward this kind of music, say, is comparison to other things? What what spoke to you about about this type of music? Well, again, the warmth of that music um, okay. and the realness of it, you know, it's it, it, okay. all the stuff that we're listening to that falls into that those genres just feels very real, very genuine, mm-hmm. emotional, real emotions. Um, and uh, I think those those musicians kind of take you on a, a journey. And, well, I. Uh, you know, I I hear you. I I tend to prefer music where the the uh, music on the on the recording or live are played by actual musicians rather than generated by a computer program or a synthesizer. Not that I dislike those kinds of sounds, but I tend to have a preference for for uh, very much human music. It kind of sounds like that's where you're coming from as well. Yeah, you know. A little bit that you want to see kind of the the humanity in in mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, I see you and Dave as the key members of of uh, Bywater Call. What elements of musical experience do each of you bring to the group individually that makes the two of you different than either of you individually? So Dave and I working together as opposed to. Yeah. As opposed to whether you were individual, it's sort of like, you know, we know that if we take yellow and blue, we get green. So, you know, what is, you know, there's, there's two, you know, distinct colors, but then when you put them together, you get a new color. So what I'm interested in knowing is kind of each of your individual uh, musical experiences, uh, what you bring to the music individually, and then what is the result when the two are blended? Yeah, so I think part of it, Dave and I have known each other and been playing together for about 15 years now. So, um, you know, that familiarity with each other, the ability to communicate, um, and then similar inspirations, Um you know, so I think we're both on the same wavelength, which is really important when you're trying to uh, to write music together. And mm-hmm. then you know, there's there's some really simple answers there. Dave's a, a great uh, educated guitar player. Uh, most of the band went to Humber College in Toronto for their jazz, fantastic jazz program there. Mm-hmm. Um, and though I enjoy his voice, he's, he's not a big singer. Mm-hmm. And I... Uh, <laughs> I'm an uneducated vocalist um, who really doesn't have much of an ability to play an instrument. So I think, you know, that that's also really big is that we can kind of use each other's talents to to develop the music. I don't know. Is there anything else? Oh, that, that's definitely it. Yeah. And, and then the, uh, the other guys in the band having such a, there's a lot of jazz influence in the band and mm-hmm. the band influence. And then even a little bit of uh, bluegrass influence, yeah, <laughs> Celtic influence. So, um, yeah, like a lot of, I think our we get we get we get a lot of room to stretch, right? Like we'll give our sax player a solo, and he'll be going straight into like Coltrane-esque Sun Ra stuff sometimes, mm-hmm. and then 
our keyboard player will work in like he's a great banjo player and in addition to being a great keyboard player so he'll really work in banjo roles and a lot of great jazz voicings and then yeah uh, our bassist is like in a uh, also plays in a, a fish tribute band so he's got all that great jam vocabulary so there's like a lot going on it, within the within the band mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it sounds like then the megan you would, would say that most of what you bring as a vocalist is more intuitive rather than say uh and and i don't mean this in a pejorative sense uh rather than being more learned or educated yeah i mean i i my education came from school choirs and musical theater mm-hmm. have a fairly decent grasp on harmonies when we're working out background vocals because of stuff like that mm-hmm. um, and then you know studying studying the artists that inspire us you know but not mm-hmm. not formally educated in, mm-hmm. in music no <laughs> well you know and 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 those are all both great because you know being really highly educated can get in the way sometimes I know, I know. Sure. I, I mean, you over, you overthink sometimes maybe yep. the technical aspects, but there's also, um, it's really great that most of the people in the band can speak this language in terms of, you know, um, it, coming up with ideas for the tunes and fine tuning things um, that they, they really understand how music works in a way that I don't. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. So maybe, you know, what leads in kind of an expansion of this question then is to the other five members of the band. Uh, maybe would you could you guys talk about which which each each of the other members bring to the table and contribute to the sound and direction of the band? Um, so Dave, Dave hit on a bunch of that already. But um, yeah. so one Mike, Mike has been playing with Dave and I also for about 15 years so again Mm -hmm. having that familiarity with each other mike came i think like way back from kind of a punk a punk influence um which you know again everybody's kind of original musical influences does find a way to feed its way into it and he that's like um funk he's he's an amazing funk bassist um and that you can really hear that in a few of the tunes that we have Mm -hmm. um Bruce, Bruce is just, uh, he's a perfectionist in the the best sense of that word. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I think some of that comes from, he did drum corps. Um, he's probably done, he has a, a, a more extensive touring background than the rest of us do. So that's helpful. That's been helpful when we first started getting out on the road. Um I, I mean, I don't know what to say about Julian and Steve. They're just a fantastic horn section who work really, really well together mm-hmm. and have been playing together for a long time. Um, and they kind of go home and, and build parts and bring them into us. And uh, we're, you know, 90% of the time pretty blown away by what they come up with. John's the newest member of the band who's a keyboard player. And Dave said, as Dave said, he also plays um, banjo and is uh, really into bluegrass right now, which I think lends well to uh, to what we're working on, that uh, he's come up with some pretty fun ideas kind of from where he's coming from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Then are you and Dave the primary songwriters for the band? 
Yeah, historically, for sure, we have been and, and at the moment still are. Uh, a mm-hmm. lot of the ideas start with Dave and uh, okay. you know, a chord progression, a melody, sometimes a, a, a lyric. Um, I take over for most of the lyrical writing, some mm-hmm. of the melody writing, and then, you know, we'll just sit down when a tune's like kind of getting there, sit down and, and knock things back and forth to kind of, you know, make it really sound the way we're picturing it. Um, but we're seeing now uh, with the, we're kind of getting back into writing, or we have been for a little bit now, um, and we're seeing a bit more come to the table from the rest of the guys, which is it's great we're really mm-hmm. excited about that so uh yeah oh that's, that's good so so yeah, it's, yeah. your your songs then are really a product of of the whole band for sure and even when dave and i have like come up with the skeleton of a tune we mm-hmm. we eventually bring it to the band and everybody kind of throws in some ideas about how to to fully form it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that that really you know, gets into, uh, you know, what else I was going to ask was, uh, and you kind of already answered that was how much, you know, do your songs change from original conception when you first, you know, finish writing a song as, you know, how much does it change as compared to the end product that goes on a, a record or what you take out on a performing uh, in public. So it, it I kind of get the impression that regardless of whatever you and Dave might bring in, the other members of the band contribute ideas and, and there's uh, uh kind of a massaging, if you will, of the, of the idea, the concept, maybe the overall sound until it really becomes a band song rather than just sure. a Dave or Megan song. For sure. And I mean, it, it also depends on the song itself. Like we've had mm-hmm. tunes that Dave's brought in and they just feel so good off the top mm-hmm. that there's not, the band contributes and it's obviously like much different from the the acoustic guitar version that he brought in mm-hmm. but um you know but doesn't go far away from that concept and then we have other tunes i mean we have tunes now that we haven't recorded that have we just keep we just keep messing with them and mm-hmm. uh, they just keep evolving which is kind of fun too and and some of the stuff off our albums where we just you know well we'll we've got some really cool live versions of things that as the band plays the tunes more and we jam together, like, what about this? So yeah, it's, Mm -hmm. there's kind of a constant evolution really. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, I'm always fascinated and interested in how uh, singer songwriters work in a, in a studio setting and, or even, you know, in any kind of a collaborative setting and, because, you know, there's some people that will create their product and they don't want it changed. And then there's others that will bring in, you know, bare bones and say, OK, let's put some meat on it, you know, with whatever yeah. ideas you've got. And will allow like, uh, you know, the bass player to say, well, maybe this kind of a, a, a bass line or groove would sound good to what, you know, you've written the chords and the melody and and the lyrics and, and a drummer might then also suggest uh, a particular uh, pattern. And then you were talking about your horn players always working on different uh, licks, different lines that can be, you know, plugged into tunes. That's, uh, yeah. that's really kind of a cool idea to, to a way to work things. You yeah, know, everybody, you, everybody yeah. gets 
<laughs> yeah. Now, when, when you go into, let's say, when you go into the studio, uh, is, is your work primarily guided in a top-down fashion from the production team? Or is the, the work really even all collaborative in, in the studio? I mean, we do try to have the tunes pretty set by the time in terms of what we want them to be for a studio version. Okay. Uh, we do try to have that all worked out, you know, after multiple sessions with the band and hopefully in most cases kind of road testing the tunes. Sure. Um, that have it fully formed when we actually go into the studio. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the past, we've done some pre-production work with the production team and mm -hmm. you know it's always open to suggestions that would make the tunes better mm -hmm. um but by the time we actually go into the studio for the most part the idea is always to have the tunes ready to lay down yeah, yeah. you gotta yeah. be ready for the studio <laughs> well we all know and i know from my experience too studio time ain't cheap so you yeah, want, you exactly. don't you don't we don't have there's probably some people out there that have that luxury of you know spending a lot of time you know working yeah. things through in a studio but for most of us we want to make sure we've got it down and and we just go in and and uh and record our tracks and get out and go from there was, uh, what if we <laughs> that's the last thing i want to hear when we get to the studio what if yeah. we what if we or have you thought about or have you thought about doing yeah. it this way yeah yeah that being yeah. said i mean i would love the experience if we ever had the budget and the time you know to isolate ourselves with the band for a month in a studio setting it's like come up with an album you know but that's mm -hmm. it's just not realistic at the moment <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I understand. I understand. I I, I interviewed a, a blues artist, uh, names escaping me, but he uh, he did a record a record for a, a, a record company whose studio was out in the middle of the New Mexico desert. He said it was so oh, far. Yeah. He said it was so far away. He said there wasn't you couldn't even get cell phone. So so the idea was was to get yourself out and away from any sort of external distractions. And kind of lock yourself yeah. in the studio and go to work. And, and you know, now you didn't talk about whether they had the luxury of a lot of time or not, but I kind of had the impression that uh, the producer was about all about letting musicians take the time to work things through. So it was, I guess there's a lot of different situations and, uh, but I know what you mean. Different. You you go to rent studio time and it's uh, time is money so you want to make sure you you're good to go but that's uh, that's great well I've got sort of a, a philosophical question you know, about your songs okay. and your songwriting uh, you know specifically to to you guys because I don't know if, whether you can speak for the other members of the band who write songs maybe you can but I want to focus primarily on you two since you're the ones I'm talking to. You know, we know the ancient Greeks and Romans used to say that the purpose of tragedy in drama was to serve as an emotional cleansing or a catharsis for those who were witnessing the drama. In other words, you could experience, vicariously experience the pain without actually experiencing the pain 
by witnessing this in a in a drama and hopefully letting loose of some some of your own uh, uh, personal drama or 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 pain. So my question for you is: Are the songs you write done with the idea of providing an emotional catharsis for yourself as reflections of personal experiences, or are your songs constructed to elicit a catharsis for others? And a follow-up to that, and a follow-up to that, in either case, what does your music cleanse emotionally, either or from either yourself or others? Well, yeah, I, I, I totally get that, that. That's a very true statement. Um, I think what draws us all to music is that feeling, is that the sort of release of, of, of really, you know, relating to a great lyric in a great song that really connects with you. And I think we definitely go in with that, that attitude as well, trying to write, um, you know, meaningful songs with meaningful, meaningful lyrics, at, at least some of the time. Sometimes it's just a bit of fun and, and we like that too. We, we don't want it to be too heavy all the time. Um, but uh, um, in terms of like a catharsis per person versus like per us as individuals or for other people, um, I don't, I don't think, I mean, I think, all artists kind of release that way, like in order to, to express themselves. It's always a somewhat cathartic to get it out, get it out in, as a song. And then ideally the listener will feel the same way or mm -hmm. more to it too. Um, there's a great quote from, who's the guy that wrote Hamilton? Liv, Liv Manuel again? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Lynn. Lynn, Lynn Moran or something like that? I don't know his name. Yeah. Anyways, he said, he, was, he did this in an interview and he was talking about it and he said, it's like the great thing about music is a person writes a song and he goes and he puts it out there and he says, this is me. And then someone else hears it and says, yeah, that's me too. And that's, that to me is, it says everything about music. And, it's, and then that same person hears another song and goes, that's not me at all. And they don't like that kind of thing. And that's, that's, I think the great experiment that we're all involved with where, where there's mm -hmm. all these artists, millions and millions of artists doing all these different things. And mm -hmm. Every now and then you find that one that's like, I love everything these guys are doing. This is exactly how I would do it if I were them, or I love the way they're doing it. I wish I could do it like they do it. Mm -hmm. um, and the, literally the next artist over, it's like, I want nothing to do with any of that. I mm -hmm. don't like it at all. So, and that's, that, that's especially in, in, in genres, like we talked about the blues a bit. That's a really funny thing about the blues is that you, you've got so many artists under that umbrella Mm -hmm. And there's so many that I think are, for me personally, that I love. And there's just as many that I'm like, nah, not into it. You know, and yeah. I, I think that's that's it is whether it releases that cathartic feeling when you hear it. Well, you know, I, I just had an idea that, you know, I th I've just thought about a blues song that I've been uh, kind of uh, enraptured with here lately called Death Letter. And yeah, uh, yeah you know the song? Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah, it's a great letter. Yeah, a great song. And I and I thought about you know that why do I like this song? It's not because I can relate to anything that the song is about, but uh -huh. it's sort of like you know you sort of like playing dress up. You can kind of put that that song on and pretend that you're having that kind of experience and trying to imagine what it would feel like you know, to get a letter about someone you care about having died. 
And I thought, wow, that's powerful, you know, or, yeah. or when, whenever I listened to uh, like Helen Wolf's uh, smokestack lightning yeah, and I, and I listened to that and I, and I, and I, you know, you get into it and it's, it's almost like a, a, a repetitive chant over and over and over again. And, and you know, that that song, I don't know how I know, but you know that that song is more than about a train rumbling down the tracks at night. I mean, and there's just something to it that, that even though I've never had that personal experience, it's kind of another enjoyable aspect of music to kind of put yourself in that position and, uh, uh, and kind of vicariously experience what you think might be going on. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I guess there's, there's a lot of, you know, different, uh, approaches because you really never know. I think Dave, you hit, hit a, a good point. You never know how someone else is going to take a song that you've written. And, uh, and they don't you know. have to take it for the way you've written it, right? Like you can, you can find, you know, your own story, people find their own stories within mm -hmm. their interpretation of what you've written could be completely different from what you actually meant, but that doesn't matter as that's long right. as you're reaching out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think that's, that's, that's a sign of great art is that there are many uh, acceptable and, uh, you know, uh, you know, perfectly fine interpretations of 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 lyrics or what was going on why why someone see when i when i listen to a piece of music i'm like what you were talking about earlier because of my education when i listen i don't just listen i i ask the question why why did they choose to have this particular rhythm or beat or sound to support these lyrics and uh or or what what uh you know what's going on here i tend to overanalyze which is uh it's my cross to bear but I, it's also sometimes how i enjoy music is is really trying to figure out what's going on um but anyway i think i think uh, we're on similar uh tracks here in terms of how we look at things um, so i want to shift gears so talk to me and my audience about you know, who or what is typically your muse? Who or what inspires you to write new songs? Uh, for me, it, it's, it probably sounds really corny, but it's uh, it's music. It's every day. Uh, Meg and I are both uh, try, to, try to be a little active. So most mornings we'll start with some cardio, separately usually. Um, but every day <laughs> I don't go out without the headphones in. And every day I just get, you know, I have probably whatever half dozen favorite artists at any given time that I'm just cycling through and, and just like thinking like how good these people are and how great, such great music they're making. And I just, it's just so inspiring to be like, you know, we did okay on that last one, but I bet we could do a little bit better on this next one. If we could just, if like not do it like this other artist, but, but if we could, if we could make something as good as they made their thing, then Man, that would really be something. I think that's it for me. That's that's what keeps me going. Uh, and I was gonna say, I mean, this also might sound corny or weird, but I was gonna kind of say that us in a way, because we're just. I think Dave and I have a, a vision for what we want this band to be, and we're constantly 
we want we're striving for more and more and more all the time so i think you know that we inspire each other to to keep creating and and hopefully keep creating something that's better and better and and um reaches more and more people mhm mhm yeah i i guess you know be, like a lot of musicians I would envision that you guys are like, you know, it, it, you've often said, you know, for musicians, our our work is our play and our play is our work. And so it's sort of like, it's not something we ever seem to let go of or take a break from. And uh, I know my wife is also a, a musician and, and, a, and a very well-educated uh, person. She's a, has a PhD in music theory. And so you know, I, I, there isn't a day that goes by that we don't talk about music and then we don't, and we talk about the music that she and I make together or about groups that she's directing or working with, or I am. In other words, it seems like music just permeates, uh, your, your life, uh, you know, for better, for worse. Um, because it's like, I, I mean, I don't have a lot of hobbies, because music for me just fills my 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 time and uh and yeah absolutely yeah and i i don't i don't mind that i don't mind that because i don't i don't think music's a bad way to fill your time i mean it's uh but uh you know it doesn't leave room for a lot of other things but uh, you know i i it's like i've been retired from full-time teaching at university now for six years and since that time, I've, I've, uh, you know, uh, I still continue to direct bands and I do as much playing as I can do. And it's, you know, and, it, and it's fantastic, but uh, I don't do any of the other kind of typical stuff that retired people do. I don't play golf and I, you know, yeah. I don't, don't head off to Florida or Arizona because we're always pinning ourselves down playing gigs and stuff up here. And, uh, but that's not a bad way to, to be. So you guys just feed off of each other constantly. I'm in, I'm envisioning. Yeah. I mean, there's very few conversations I feel like that happen in the home that aren't about music or our music or what, you know, that yeah. is involves the band somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and if you're like, if you're like my, my wife and myself, you probably sit down and talk to each other and critique every gig after you play. There's definitely uh, some, of, some of that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say like, it's, it's an interesting way to live. Like, um, you know, th there's obviously all the financial pitfalls and perils that come along with it. It's certainly not oh, yeah. the most lucrative uh, career option in the world for most of us, but um, every every time I stop being on tour or we're not doing a writing thing or blah, 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 I suddenly find myself in a uh, lazy boy watching Netflix and thinking like, is this, am I enjoying this? Is, you know, wouldn't I rather be, you know, doing 700 miles from, you know, point A to point B and thinking about it. Like, you just feel more engaged when you're doing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know it's like we've talked, my wife and I have talked several times. I don't see St. Paul or Madison popping up naturally, right? But it's awesome being in both, you know? Yeah. I, I, I hear you. I hear you. I mean, it's like my wife and I several times have talked about, 
the idea of, you know, maybe we should just quit doing this and, and, and focus on something else. And I, one or the other of us will look at the other and say, what, what else would we do? You know, because we're just That's both it. into music and, and uh, I don't know what else I would want to do. And uh, so it's, it's nice to be able to have that, uh, that option, but oh. uh yeah, well, great. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the mechanics. You kind of hinted at this a little bit earlier. Now, uh, Megan, you are, I understand from what you said earlier, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, that primarily when it comes to the songwriting, you're the lyricist. Just hold on, I lost you there for just a second. All right. Could you answer that again, please? Sorry, you're just breaking up on us a little yeah, bit. Yes, there's, there's, some, there's some issues with the there. internet again. I We're having a storm here. And uh, oh, okay. usually when that happens, I mean, it's been raining all day long and uh, Sometimes when we have a storm, it messes with the internet on my end, or at least I, the two correlate, whether it's cause and effect or not, I'm not. But anyway, so I was asking, I said, you primarily are the, the lyricist when you write songs. Is that correct? Oh. Sorry, we're primarily the... Okay, I, I'm losing you here. I guess we've got a bad connection. Hi. There. Can you hear me now? Yes, yep. we're good okay. now. Sorry. That's okay. We're back. I think so. Okay. Let's try again. What was the question? <laughs> well, okay. So what I was going to get at is the creative process that you two engage in. Now, from what you said earlier, I get the impression, Megan, that you are primarily the lyricist. Uh, and and so do any of your songs, uh, or can you think of any of your songs that have started first with lyrics and then Dave uh has put music to? Lyrics first, music second. Has it happened? Don't know. Don't think so. You don't think no. so? Okay. Most of the time. <laughs> most of the, I mean, I'm trying to think. It's, uh, yeah, I have a hard time with that. Yeah, I, I, I it's like how that. we want to write. Yeah. Um, part of the problem is, is my inability to really do much with guitar or keyboard. Uh -huh. Um, so I come up with some ideas, but then getting them out of my head and over to Dave, um, the way that I hear them in my head is is pretty difficult. So most of the time it does start with with Dave and a chord progression. Okay. Or me finding some old old ideas. Like we have something with this. Um he wanted we want to move more into a lyrics first writing mm -hmm. um yeah 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 i mean we, definitely that's definitely a development that we're moving towards where 
maybe not completely separate, but letting the vocal melody dictate where the Sound next go. chord will go or the next part will go, mm -hmm. rather than what we don't words that I really like the sound of together and then we put the parts over that, which can get really tricky in, in terms of writing uh like memorable melodies, I think, because you end okay. up having to navigate chord changes. Kind of like what we said about musicians that are hyper educated. You kind of that's sort of off not always, but often in, in that case it's super dense uh harmonic challenges and then to the point song kind of there's just so much going on to prove, you know, how excellent, you know, how, how much the musician understands about, you know, harmony. And then by the time it's said and done, it's like, is this really a good tune anymore? Like, got like <laughs> 27 chords in the first 30 seconds. Like, I don't know. Um, yeah. So like that, that could be, unless it's like, but then there's all the jazz standards. So it just, it depends. Sure. Sure. Well, I know there's, a, there's probably a lot of, uh, you know, metacognition it goes on when you you start to think about gee why do it why did i write it this way and would it be better this way or that way or so forth i mean that is one of the beauties of music yeah. you know it's the same 12 notes it's how we use them uh you know that that uh, that counts but well uh kind of moving on uh are you currently uh or maybe i should ask are you constantly writing new material and if so, can you well, give us a sneak peek with what kinds of things we might hear out of you coming here in the near future? Um, so we are currently, and we're working on the constantly, which is nice. We're in a really good groove right now with the whole group in terms of a flow of, mm -hmm. of working on new material. So we've got two tunes that we've, recorded and the goal if it all works out is to release one of them um at the end of july oh. just, um online and uh i don't know if that one's a fun that one actually originated from first that's the first tune we've put out that has originated from another band member which is exciting and uh, it's just it's a fun say like gospel -y, bluegrass kind of bass, bass tune mm -hmm. i don't know if that would be the right oh that sounds like fun <laughs> i wish it would be better um the big choir kind of in it hmm so, oh that sounds kind of job. well that sounds interesting and so we're talking about the end of july for release Craig, Hello? are you there? Yes, I'm still here. You know, am I breaking Down up again. still? Okay. Well, we may. Oh, just we just went through all the Zoom reset. <laughs> we may just have to put up with that because I looked down in the bottom left-hand corner of my computer, and it still says heavy rain. So, anyway, but I was asking. Oh, so this yeah, uh, th this record you're doing, you're you're going to release that as a single at the end of July. Yeah, that's the goal. We're okay. we're we're on track for that yeah okay super and are you we gonna are you gonna release that on all the the various digital platforms 
Yep, that's the plan. All okay. on uh, Spotify, Apple Music, all, all of them. I can't remember what the oh, other ones that's, are. Well, that's great. Well, you know what, I listeners? Know. Yeah. You heard it here first. And since this uh, particular interview will go public on July 18th, you won't have too long to wait after you hear this podcast to look for the new single from Bywater Call. That's that great. That is true. Oh, yeah. and do you have a name for the song or is that something you could tell me, but then you'd have to kill me? No, it's called Sweet Maria. Sweet Maria. Okay. Yeah. So we'll be looking for Sweet Maria then uh, close to the end of July. That'll be awesome. That'll be awesome. Yeah. And then uh, we've just got a lot of, we've got a lot of ideas that we're working through right now, which is pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. We're not putting any kind of deadline or pressure on for a full new album. Okay. Um, but I think, you know, the idea is to trickle out some new, some new stuff. And then when we have enough of it together, we'll, we'll announce a big full album release. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I think I think the idea, especially now we have streaming platforms, it's almost like, you know, you want to, like you said, let it trickle out uh, yeah. and keep people, uh, you know, keep people, uh, give them a little bit at a time and and uh, then you can hit them with the full course once you've got something together. All right. For well, sure. let's let's talk about something else that's really exciting and I'm anxious to hear about. Now, you're currently on the road and you're touring this summer and you have a tour to Europe planned for the fall. Uh, please talk to us about that a bit. Sure. So we're going back. This will be our fourth time back. Not counting. Um, that's true. Okay. We're, we're flying in and out of Germany in July to, to play a festival. But this will be our first our fourth full tour in Europe. We went twice last year and once in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, it'll be our first time playing in the UK, which is really exciting. So that'll be great. We have about 10 days in the UK. And then just playing around Germany, Netherlands, France, Belgium. I think that covers most of it for, mm -hmm. for that tour. Um, just really great audiences out there. Uh, the idea is kind of like what we're doing here in the States is to, is to build a fan base. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think we're on our way. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, that sounds cool. That sounds cool. How do you find, uh, that audiences in Europe compare to audiences in, the in, uh, North America? It depends where you go in Europe. I'd say mm -hmm. in general, um, and I don't know that we've done enough in the States yet to, to form an opinion on that. But as uh, in comparison to Canada, I do think there's more people over in Europe who are kind of willing to take a chance on a band they've never heard of before mm -hmm. and come out and see them play, um, which is encouraging and very nice. Uh, in terms of like how they how they are while you're playing, I mean, Germany, they're pretty stoic, but they're 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 verbal after each tune, you know, mm -hmm. and they're, they're really, they're a great audience, but they're not, you know, big dancers. Mm -hmm. not, not a lot of jumping up and down. Yeah. In Spain, they party. They, they party in Spain. It's true. Mm -hmm. They cram into tiny little venues and, and get sweaty together, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of interesting. So, you know, kind of looking back on, uh, on your musical career, uh, what would you say has been uh, some of the most memorable experiences that you've had? Um, I'd say our first tour in Europe was 
was pretty big because it was we had that tour got booked before we had even recorded our first album um and we just hadn't done any touring at that point we had done a few festivals and uh and i guess come in quebec but that was it so it was our first experience touring this band and this music um over you know a long period of time and the response was great for first time out so that that'll always kind of stay there mm-hmm. um and i don't know we've had some great festival moments do you have anything that Oh, the Moulin Blues moment. Moulin Blues was amazing. Yeah. We played a festival in the Netherlands last year. Big festival. I can't remember how many thousand people in a tent. It was raining. So everybody crammed to the tent. It was packed. And then we didn't expect to have a uh, an encore because that doesn't usually happen in festivals because you have very little downtime in between bands. Right. And I had left stage. Um the band plays out and I had left the stage and went over to the merch table and taken my shoes off. And then all of a sudden our tour manager was like, you have to get back up on stage. They're calling for an encore. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's really great. Yeah. I mean, you know, to be appreciated that much that they want to hear more. Yeah. Yeah. But the problem was, is I went a long way and I couldn't, I couldn't find a way back on stage and I was running around on my bare feet and uh, I ended up getting boosted by audience members onto the stage from the front over the, over the monitors. Yeah, it was hilarious. And then we played our encore. It was blast. It was really fun. Yeah. 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 Yeah, We have a little video clip of it. (laughs) Oh, that is cool. That's very cool. That's, that's fun. I had a, I had a similar experience many years ago. I was doing a, a cultural exchange tour in Japan and the Japanese are very four square, very set about timing. There's a specific beginning to things and a specific ending. And we were playing a concert at Disneyland in Tokyo. Uh-huh. And uh, it, it was a certain time that we were supposed to start and a certain time you we were supposed to end. And the crowd was just absolutely nuts about what we were doing. And we played, ended up playing one of the first times a band had played an encore at at Tokyo Disneyland. It was just, uh, it was such a thrill because these people were just going absolutely nuts. And I know that's such a great feeling. You really feel like you're appreciated and that, uh, and, and we all like to be liked. I mean, that's, that's for sure. So, you know, that's wonderful. Uh I've got kind of a question that that uh, might be a challenge. I I don't know. Some people I interview say that it is. If you could perform with anyone, alive or dead, that you have never performed with, who would that be, and why? I think I'd like to like rock a duet with Otis Redding. Mm-hmm. You know, Otis Redding. Okay. I think that would be fantastic. The energy he brought to stage, his singing. Yeah. Wow. So let's rock a duet with Otis Redding. I mean, you could choose, there's so many to choose from, but that's the first thing that popped into my mind. That would be freaking mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. I could hear you singing sitting on the dock of the bay. Yeah. I can, I can hear you doing that. <laughs> you know, and it's, and, and, you know, this is, this is kind of a sad, kind of thing about Otis but in Madison where you just were is of course where Otis Redding died 
when his oh. plane went down right. in Lake Mendota and over in the, uh, there's a convention center and up on the rooftop, you can go and there's a plaque up there that commemorates, you know, it was not on this site, but you know, where you could look out over the lake where Otis Redding was, was killed when his plane yeah. crashed. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that's where it was. Yep. That's where it was. He went down in, uh, I think, it, yeah, I think it was in 67. Yeah, Wisconsin, we have this, we have for some reason this uh, reputation for, you know, artists come to our state and they do a show and then they die. I mean, Stevie Ray Vaughan died not too far from where I am down at uh, Alpine Valley after doing a show and the helicopter yeah. that was taking him out uh, yeah. crashed. So, you know, those kind of things happen. But Otis Redding, yeah, great voice, great voice, yeah. great singer. Well, as we kind of come to the, you know, round, kind of round things up here, is there anything else that you guys would like to add or tell my audience that I have not asked you about? Come, come, come to our shows. <laughs> all right. Yes. Come to our shows and follow us on social media. It all matters. Well, good. I mean, and I'll let you guys know and remind my audience that I do put the uh, web addresses for your web page, also your Facebook page. And I also include some uh, links to YouTube videos of your performing in my show notes. And so they can access all of that from my show notes and uh, uh, learn more about uh, Bywater Call. So that's, uh, I think that's great. Well, uh, Megan and Dave, uh, thank you for taking time to talk with me today, especially when you're on a very busy travel schedule and all the best uh, with your uh, show, your next show coming up, assume tonight and uh, all the best to you with what I'm sure will be a continued successful musical future. Thank you so much. You Thanks bet. for having us, Craig. You bet. My discovery composer of the week is the Estonian composer and choral conductor, Cyrillus Creek. Creek was born in 1889 and died in 1962. He studied at the St. Petersburg Conservatory, where his teachers included Jesips Vitals. While still a student, he began to collect Estonian folk music, becoming one of the first Estonians to use the phonograph to record traditional melodies. His transcriptions include collections of folk hymn tunes and music from Estonian Swedish villages. The impact of his folk song study on his compositional style is clear both in his numerous arrangements of folk music and in his large choral and orchestral works based on folk material. In 1917, he returned to Hapsalu, his hometown, where he worked as a music teacher and choral conductor until his death. Although he also taught for a short uh, time period at the Tallinn Conservatory from 1940 to 1941 and 1944 to 1950, where he was appointed professor in 1947. He was forced to abandon this post by the Soviet authorities, who labeled him as a bourgeois nationalist. Creek 
with Bart Tsar and Heino Eller was particularly influential in the creation of a nationalistic Estonian musical style. His compositions make abundant use of classical contrapuntal techniques, but combine modal features with complex tonal chords and sequences. Harmonies, while never departing from a tonal basis, are often used coloristically and are frequently governed by linear part writing. With works such as A Winter's Evening of 1915 and Sleep Little Mutts of 1922, he established the tradition of large-scale choral writing beloved by Estonian composers. By the Rivers of Babylon from 1944, one of the Psalms of David, rediscovered in 1989, is based on the melodies and vocal traditions of the Eastern Orthodox Church. The All Music Guide lists recordings of 18 of Creek's choral works and one recording of his Musica Sacra, a cycle of six religious songs for orchestra. In my show notes is a link to a YouTube performance of Creek's the Sun Shall Not Smite Thee, Psalm 121, performed by Vox Clamantis, conducted by Jan Eich Tulve. Well, that wraps episode number 146. My show notes, along with links to artists' websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artists' performances are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Coming up next week, I will be interviewing New York-based trombonist Ryan Keberly. Other upcoming interviews include Johnson City, Tennessee-based Florencia Rusinol of the band Florencia and the Feeling, jazz bassist Stanley Ruvanov, pianist, singer, and composer Rachel Eckroth, and New York City-based trumpet player Brandon Choi. So, don't touch that dial, and stay tuned. If you have questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at H-U-R-S-T-C at U-W-M dot E-D-U. So until next time, this is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.